Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Scottsdale Big Book Study, where we will study the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. My name is Maria F, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I'm from County Dublin in Ireland, and I'll be your host for today's study. Our co-hosts today are Sue L and Audrey N. If you have any questions or if you have any concerns during the meeting, please contact either myself or any of the co-hosts, and you can do this by private message in the chat function. We ask that if you please keep your microphone on mute at all times during today's study, and also please turn off your video if you're exercising, you're eating, you're driving, or if you need to step away from the screen for any reason. And please note that our speaker, Harlan G, will be recorded for the duration of the study. However, the Q&A session which follows, that will not be recorded. Um, we ask that you refrain from making use of the chat function, even to message other attendees privately, just so we can all be present with each other here today at the workshop. So now we will turn over to Harlan G in Scottsdale, Arizona. Good morning, Harlan. Thank you, Maria. Thank you so much. And as I say every week, it is so wonderful to be here. I hope sincerely that it is as absolutely stunning a Saturday morning, wherever you are, whenever you're listening to this, whether it's on the recording or whether it's live, that it is as absolutely gorgeous where you are as it is here in Arizona this morning. We've got a couple of weeks left of this heat and then it's gonna break and we are gonna be in such, such beautiful temperatures. Um, I just wanna make a couple of announcements before we go much further. Number one, I hope that when registration begins for the OA birthday, January 13th, 14th and 15th in Los Angeles, California, that you will be among the people that are attending. That is gonna take place in Los Angeles. Los Angeles is the birthplace of OA. It's where it started in 1960. And that's why the birthday is always in Los Angeles, 13th, 14th and 15th of January in Los Angeles at the LAX Hilton. That's the one on Century Boulevard. Hope to see you there and I know that uh, we're going to get some a little, few more details on this at the end of the session this morning. But for those of you who are geographically or so inclined to join us, I'm coming to Westchester County, New York, and that will be a live big book workshop the 9th, 10th, and 11th of December. That's going to take place in White Plains, New York. And that's going to be the 9th, 10th, and 11th of December. And beyond that, uh, I also want to remind you that on November the 6th, daylight savings time will end. So that means this workshop will not change unless you are in the state of Arizona. Because what I'm going to do is I will adjust so you don't have to. I'm going to start this at 9 in the morning rather than 10 in the morning uh, or 11 in the, no, excuse me, 11 in the morning rather than 10 in the morning. That's better. 11 in the morning rather than 10 in the morning so that you guys don't have to adjust your time. But if you're in the state of Arizona, if you're within the state, you will have to adjust one hour ahead for the Saturday sessions beginning November 11th. That's beginning November 11th. We have been talking about the, about the second step and we're in the chapter, we agnostics. And what is an agnostic? A lot of people confuse agnostic with atheist and they are two completely different things. An atheist is a person who believes in no religious deity up in the sky. They do not believe in a religious higher power, a religion or a religious higher power, excuse me, not religion, but uh, they may not, they probably don't have a religion, but they don't believe in a religious higher power. And many of us do believe that God is associated with a certain religion. And some of us don't. It is God as you understand God. There's no right way. There's no wrong way. It is God as you understand God, whether it be a she, a he, an it, uh, whatever that may be for you. And then there's the believer. The believer believes that there is a God 
and usually the believer will believe, but not always believe that that God may be related to a certain religion, or you may be a person who is a spiritual person, but not associating God with a specific religion. Whatever it is that you believe or don't believe, however it is you believe or don't believe, is not for us to question. We are not the judge and jury of how someone believes, what someone believes, where some, doesn't matter. All that's required here is a willingness to believe or a belief that there is a power greater than yourself. That is all that is required. And given that, why do we, why did Bill entitle this chapter, We Agnostics? Because he didn't say those agnostics to the agnostics for the agnostic. He didn't entitle the chapter that way. He said, we agnostics. And the reason that he entitled this chapter, we agnostics, is because he knew that an agnostic is someone, ag means without, gnostic means knowledge. Someone that is without knowledge, whether or not there is a God or whether or not, and this is more specific to our disease in most cases, I may have a belief as I did that there is a God, but I did not have a very easy transition of associating the power of God with the tragedies and calamities and challenges of my life. So there was a disconnect for me. Where that disconnect took place was, I did not really know for sure that God in his infinite wisdom would help me with my problem of eating, with my problem of hating myself, with my problem of feeling apart from the world rather than a part of the world. I did not really understand that God was the only way that I could be free of the guilt, the shame, the remorse, the fear, the anger that was plaguing me, the jealousy that was plaguing me my entire life. And from the time I was a little child, when I would see myself in a mirror, when I would see myself in the reflection of a car window or a window, I hated what I saw because the entire world very, very soundly let me know that because I was fat, because I had bubby arms, because I have fat around my side, because I have fat, I have thunder thighs. Thanks, mom. I have thunder thighs, um, but the bottom line is I was unacceptable because of those things. So I did not know how to bring God into the equation of the things that I felt, the things I saw, the things I was or was not. I didn't know how to bring God into that equation to help me deal with the fact that certain realities are unchangeable but the one thing that is changeable is my attitude toward those realities and other realities are changeable if I'm willing to work hard and stay with the program. Not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. And I didn't know how to connect God with that because I could see from the time I was a child that my willpower my discipline, my character were not enough to overcome these things. I was a quitter. I was always a quitter. I, I would face some adversity and I would just quit. I would throw the towel in and say, that's it. I give up. I quit. I don't care. Those were my famous last words. I don't care. I don't give a damn, blah, blah, blah blah. I don't care. What I really was saying is I believed in my soul that other people were granted a large modicum of discipline and knowledge and willpower and character that I did not have. 
And I looked at my mother and I looked at my father and I said, well, of course I don't have discipline. Of course I don't have character, neither do they. And how was I going to inherit something that they didn't have? And so I became a very negative thinker. I became a person who always expected the worst. I became a catastrophizer in my mind. And with God, I can actually see that I've overcome so much that it is not even describable here in words. Losing over 500 pounds is the least of some of the things that I have seen in my life. I have been reborn in every sense of the word. I have become a new person. I have become a person who can walk the streets a free man. I have become a person who is free of the guilt, the shame, and the remorse that I have carried with me my entire life. I don't owe anybody any money. I haven't badmouthed anybody today. I haven't done anything today or gone anywhere or eaten anything that makes me not only ashamed of myself, but makes me hate myself. And this hatred came, this hatred of self came from the fact that I kept letting myself down. I would make promises to myself, but I wouldn't, couldn't keep them. I would swear to God every morning, I'm not going to eat this or that. I'm not going to eat Chips Ahoy. I'm not going to eat French fries. Uh, whatever that may be that I was promising myself I wasn't going to do, within a very short period of time, I found myself doing exactly what I thought to myself I would never do again. And it made me hate myself. It made me mistrust myself. And it gave me an attitude of being defeated before I was ever started. We're going to start on page 46 of the big book today. And we're going to start with the paragraph that says, yes, we have agnostic temperament. 46, yes, we have agnostic temperament. We're going to start there in just a minute. But I want to review a little bit of what we read or what we said last week, as is my want. We read last week, or the week before actually, the thesis line of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. What is the thesis line of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous? It is the line on page 45 that says, that's what this book is all about. Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. And what this tells me is this pursuit of this higher power, if it is the purpose of the book, then it darn well better be the purpose of my life. And what that does is it dispels this myth that abstinence is the most important thing in my life without exception. Yes, I will have no life unless I'm abstinent. That is correct. If I'm not abstinent, I'm not available for anything. I am not a man in recovery. I'm a man that I can't trust and you can't trust. I'm a man that will say even stupider things that I say in abstinence. I will not be able to disseminate the true from the false. I will lie when the truth would have been better. I will do and say the most outrageous things and I will accept them as true. And I will live in a state of an almost psychotic delusional alternative reality because when I'm in the food, I'm altered. And so this pursuit of the higher power becomes becomes the mission of my life. And in pursuit of that higher power, I do not want to overeat. I do not have the desire to overeat. As long as I keep doing my steps and as long as I keep being of service to the next person, as long as I keep teaching the program. What does Clancy Immislin teach us again and again and again? Clancy teaches us. Now, if you don't know who Clancy is, Clancy was for many, many years, a circuit speaker within AA. And Clancy was an old timer. He got sober in 1959. It isn't my purpose here today to tell his entire life story, but let's just suffice to say, he is one of the people who I met only twice in my life, but he has had a profound influence on me because I love his podcasts. 
I love, I love the message that he had. And one of the biggest messages that he had was that abstinence is not the most important thing in my life. The pursuit of my higher power is the most important thing in my life without exception. So it's very, very important for me to keep that in mind. Abstinence is key, but I have to keep pursuing God. And where I see people, a lot of them struggle, 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 because they're not keeping that eye on their pursuit of a higher power. The main object of this book is to help you find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. Very, very important. Whether that higher power is a religious deity or not a religious deity is not the point of our discussion. It is not for us to know. It is not for us to judge. It is not for us to comment on. It is God as you understand God, not as I understand it or any of the other people here understand it. Okay, let's go to page 46. Yes, we of agnostic temperament have had these thoughts and experiences let us make haste to reassure you, we found that as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice and express even a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, there's that phrase again, willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves. We commenced to get results, even though it was impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend that power, which is God. You don't have to define it. You don't have to comprehend it. And one of the biggest mistakes that I made in program relative to step two, and if you want to go back to page 12 with me in Bill's story. That's all. I That's all. Didn't mean to insult you. Somebody's unmuted. Okay, it's Barbara. But if we could un if we could mute Barbara, we would be good. Okay. I want to go back to page 12. And on page 12, there's a sentence that says, despite the living, despite the living example. It's at the top of the page. And I the reason I'm pointing this out on page 12 is I want to reinforce to you over and over again, that when the big book wants to teach us something, it never teaches it to us once. It teaches, us, it teaches it to us several times, and that's called spiraling the information. But let's take a look at the paragraph that we just read on page 46, kind of keep something, a pen, a pencil, or a finger in page 46. And let's go back to page 12. With what we just read in mind, that we have to have a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves and we begin to get results. Let's take a look at what we see. Despite the living example of my friend, there remained in me the vestiges of my old prejudice. The friend that he's talking about is Ebby Thatcher. The word God still aroused a certain antipathy. Antipathy means a feeling of dislike. When the thought was expressed that there might be a God personal to me, this feeling was intensified. Why was that feeling intensified? Because I was living in hell. I was living in constant pain. I lived in a world where I hated myself. I lived in a world of guilt and shame and remorse. I lived in a world of extreme morbid obesity. I could neither stand comfortably nor sit comfortably. I wrote bad checks. I lied when the truth would have been better. My phone was disconnected an incredibly long period of time. I drove without automobile insurance. I did stupid things. I said stupid things. I hurt a lot of people when I was in my disease. And I felt the sting of the guilt, the shame, and the remorse. So crazy was I that I believed that when my friends were in my car and I put them in my car with no automobile insurance, 
I would be, I believe that God would spare me an accident, not because he liked me, but because he liked them. So they were like an insurance policy against having an accident because I knew God would never let anything happen to them. But if it was just me, he would screw me over at a moment's notice. And that's the type of mentality that I came here with. That is the type of belief that I held personal to me for many, many years of my life. I wanted young American wealthy parents. I got Max and Virginia Grabowski. Very, very different. I wanted Rob and Laura Petrie. I got Max and Virginia. Very different. Very, very different. I wanted things, couldn't have them. Wanted girls, couldn't have them. I wanted to be thin, couldn't be. Wanted to be whatever, couldn't be whatever. And so I hated my life. And so now you want to talk to me about God. Now you want to talk to me about who, about what. Now what do you want to say to me? I'll I'll give you a, a crack in the head. Don't you dare talk to me about God. But I had to have my ego reduced by this fact. My way sucked the wazoo. My will, my way, my ego were not getting the job done. Let's continue on page 12. I didn't like the idea. I could go for such conceptions as creative intelligence, universal mind, or spirit of nature. But I resisted the thought of a czar of the heavens, however loving his sway might be. I have since talked with scores of men who felt the same way. My friend suggested what then seemed a novel idea. He said, why don't you choose your own conception of God? I have a very dear person in my life, and this is their favorite line of the book. Let's go back to page 46. So when Ebby is talking to Bill, now I want to give you a little bit of historical accuracy. Ebby does not remember saying that. And Bill's version of what happened that day is a little different than what Ebby was telling us for a very long time. Ebby does not remember saying that. Ebby was coming out of the Oxford group, which were Christian in their doctrine. He was not coming out of a um, rather loosey-goosey kind of structured thing. He was coming out of the Oxford group. But whether Ebby said it or not is not the issue. The thought is, is that this idea of a God or a power greater than myself that does not have to be believed in. All that has to happen is I have to have a willingness to believe. Willingness is not belief. It's just willingness to believe that there is a power greater than myself. So much can be built upon that foundation of willingness that it's not even funny. I've noticed in my life that willingness can be paralyzing for me. I was waiting to be willing before I put down the food. I was waiting to be willing before I did my four step. I was waiting to be willing before I would make amends. I was waiting to be willing before I would do a lot of things. And here is what I noticed. My willingness only comes after I start taking action after action after action. I have noticed in my life that as Clancy Immeslin said many times, when one alcoholic talks to another alcoholic about their feeling of differences, difference, and the second alcoholic begins to take action that they do not yet believe in, this is the point where recovery can begin taking place. Let me say that again. When one alcoholic talks to a second alcoholic so that the second so that the second alcoholic's feelings of differences are 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 minimized and they begin taking action after action after action that they do not yet believe in, this is the point where recovery can take place. So I had to stop waiting for willingness, for me, for moi. Willingness is highly overrated. I begin taking action. And in that action is born the willingness. Now, how do I take action on a willingness to believe in a higher power? Start praying and start acting as if. I act as if. How do I do that specifically? 
How I do that specifically is to leave the food down go to meetings, start doing what they're, what they're saying for me to do. Start transitionalizing between yes, but, and yes, sir. I had to stop questioning everything, stop arguing everything, stop fighting with myself, because the only one that was losing the fight between me and me was me. Nobody else was getting devastated by my reluctance to put down Chunkies and Chuckles and Chips Ahoy and Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. My God, 45 years ago, it used to cost me $50, $60 to go to a freaking movie. Not because of the price of the ticket, but because of the price of the snow caps, the raisinets and the popcorn. So it, I couldn't keep living like that. I couldn't keep doing the things I was doing and having any semblance of a life. So the willingness for me came from taking that action, even though I did not want to. I took action after action after action after action. And what did I find that I was imbued with? I was imbued with a willingness and an awakening of the, of the realization, yes, there is a God. Yes, Virginia, there is a God. If there is a Santa Claus, then yes, there is a God. Then I am going to be okay if I continue to take these actions. The way I was feeling before was worse and worse and worse and worse. The way I was feeling after I started taking those actions was more hopeful. Not much changed. I was still broke. I was still morbidly obese. I was still in very bad health. I still had thunder thighs. Thanks, mom. I still had thunder thighs. I still had fat on my arms and I still do. And life isn't perfect. But as I look at the mountain ranges in front of me, that I need to cross with God's help. I look behind me in a second of respite and I look, in, I look behind me in that second of relaxation that I often need on a journey. And I look at the mountain ranges behind me that I've crossed. And the only conclusion that I can come to is I did not cross, I did not transverse those mountains by myself. I got across because there is a God and it's not me. Does that mean you have to believe in my God? Absolutely not. Does that mean you have to believe in the God or a God? No, it does not. It means you can be willing to believe. You don't even have to believe in anything you want, anything you perceive as God, anything that you perceive as a power greater than yourself is perfectly okay to make your beginning. But there's no way that on my unaided willpower, there is no way on my character, discipline, or perseverance, no way could I have got where I am today because my human will had failed. My human will proved to be inadequate in the face of the juggernaut of this disease. No flipping way was I adequate to overcome the obstacles in my path. Let's continue, we're on page 46. Last full paragraph on 46. Many, much to our relief, we discovered we did not need to consider another's conception of God. That sentence is very, very important. I don't care who's Catholic, Protestant, Muslim. I don't care if you're Jewish. I don't care if you're whatever you are. I don't care. It doesn't matter. As long as you're willing to believe that there's a power greater than yourself, you are on your way. Our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach and to affect a contact with him. 
Now, a lot of people object to the male pronouns here. Try to divorce yourself from that. And remember that the book was a product of the 1930s. It was written primarily in 37, 38, and the earliest part of 39. The world was a very different place then. So when he says him, put in whatever you want, whatever pronoun you're most comfortable with, put it in, replace it, do what you want. It says him, okay. But when he capitalizes it like that, he's talking about God. As soon as we admitted the possible existence of a creative intelligent, a spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things, we began to be possessed by a new sense of power and direction. And I found that to be very true. As soon as I started believing or being willing to believe, I could see that the problems that I had that were way beyond me may be able to be overcome. And sometimes I look back on old journals and I look back on things that were pressing in my life five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. You know, I can scarcely remember some of them now. I can scarcely remember what the heck I was even talking about. But at the time, it was so pressing and so so overwhelming that I would often write about those problems for days, weeks, or months. And now I can scarcely remember them. That is not me. That is a power greater than me. Provided we took other simple steps. In other words, this willingness to believe, step two, is not going to be effective unless I continue with the steps. And over and over again, I see this in program, and that is we stop working the steps and we wonder why we relapse, why we have the difficulties we have. But unless I am going to continue on with the steps, the simple one, two is not going to be enough. I must continually take the steps every single day. We found that God does not make too hard turns with those who seek him. How do I seek God? By working the steps. I seek God by working the steps because in the working of the steps, I'm going to help myself get right with myself. I'm going to get right with my fellow human being and I'm going to get right with God. The three other products of that spiritual awakening, besides an emancipation from the desire to kill myself with food, is going to be I'm going to get right with God, I'm going to get right with myself, and I'm going to get right with my fellow human being. And that's freedom. And that's where you fly. That's freedom. I can walk the streets a free man. I don't have to worry about who I'm going to see or who I'm going to run into. I don't owe anybody money. The only entity that I owe money to is the bank that holds the mortgage on my house. And that, that gets paid once a month. I'm not late. You know how much credit card interest I pay a year? Zero. zippity doo I get a bill. I pay it. That's new behavior for me. I have auto insurance. Very good coverage. I have health insurance. I have, I have uh, homeowner's insurance. I have insurance on everything that needs to be insured. My bills are paid. I don't owe anybody a nickel. For me, that's great. That's fantastic. I haven't written a bad check in decades. What freedom that is. I can stand up. I can sit down. This chair, you can't see it. This, maybe you can if I, no, you can't do that. No, okay. This chair has arms on it. It's an office chair, the kind you'd buy at the office supply store. I'm sitting quite comfortably. All the garments on my body that adorn my body right now. This is a t-shirt that I got at Stepping Stones in, in New York when I visited there. This is not something I bought at a big and tall. Nothing that is on my body today comes from a big and tall store. 
every garment that adorns my body right now is from a normal store, a normal place. I can't describe to you how that feels. I can't describe to you how I don't have to go scrounging and, and ferreting out somewhere in the city of Chicago or the city of Phoenix, somebody that can fit me with a garment. I don't have to worry about it. One time we were on vacation when I, when I was with my wife and child, we were on vacation and I was really scared. And one of the things I was very scared of is I was completely in relapse at this time. And that is, if something happens to my luggage, I'm screwed. Where am I going to go get clothes? I don't have to worry about that now. If something happens to my luggage, yeah, I'll be a little mad. I'll be a little upset. I don't want to lose my luggage any more than you do. I'm not some, you know, I'm not some uh, deity from the sky where I don't care about such things. I don't want to lose the things I have any more than you do. Worst case scenario, I'll go to a store, I'll get a t-shirt, I'll wear the t-shirt, I'll get some underwear, I'll get a pair of pants, I'll get whatever I need, and I'm good to go. That's freedom for a person like me. That is extreme freedom for a person like me. I never knew that could even exist for a person like me, and yet I'm living in that reality today. I own a car that I can get in and out of easily. Wow. Wow. I own a car. I can get in and out of the car with no big difficulty. Yeah, I'm 68 years old. And yeah, I'm beat up. <clears throat> you know, I've had two hip replacements, two knee replacements. I've, you know, I, my skeletal system, my muscular system, have been terrorized by this disease. I can get in and out of any car, maybe not a smart car, you know, the little ones looks like it's a little tuna can going down the street. Maybe not one of those little Triumph or one of those little BMWs that you see. I don't know if I get in and out of that. I don't know, but I can get in and out of most cars. What freedom that is. But I will tell you a secret. Don't tell anybody. Don't say a word. There are still times when I will go into a restaurant that has only booths and I still have a shockwave of fear come over me because when I was in a restaurant with only booths, I couldn't eat there because I couldn't fit in a booth. Sometimes when I get led to a table in a restaurant or I get led someplace to sit here in someone's house, I still get scared that I'm gonna break the furniture because I have broken a lot of furniture in my life. I have snapped chairs and couches, one waterbed. I have been massively embarrassed by the fact that furniture and even toilets were never meant to hold a person that weighed as much as me. I have broken toilets twice. I have a gash in my back my lowest, my lower back, the gash where the toilet cut into me when I was falling, I broke the toilet. It was in a gas station and the toilet came out of the wall and there was nothing underneath it. And I broke it and part of the porcelain cut my back. I was bleeding like you couldn't believe I was bleeding. And that was a, one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. It was horrible. It was just horrible. And I remember that that happened to me. It was horrible. Happened twice. Not the same time, but I'd broken two toilets in my day. And that was pretty horrible to, to live through. I don't have to worry about that today. Furniture and toilets and cars and, and, and airplanes. Well, airplanes, forget it. If you're not a munchkin forget about it. I, you're not going to convince me that those airplane seats are for anybody who is not a munchkin from the Wizard of Oz. You're not, you're just not going to convince me of that. You're just not. But seriously speaking, I can sit in an airplane seat and I don't need an extender belt. What a miracle. What a, And invariably the flight attendant, now I'm sitting there, I'm four times the size of anybody on the plane and they're holding up the extender belt. Who was the one that needed the extender belt? 
So I've got to put my hand up like you didn't know who needed the extender belt. It would have been less embarrassing if you would have just handed it to me and shut your mouth. But no, they've got to make a... Now, who was it that needs the extender belt? Is that you, the real slender woman in the back there? Or you, sir, the man that has the 28-inch uh, waist? Who needs the extender belt? You just want to throw acid in on their face because how could you not know who needs the freaking extender belt? But I guess they have to go through what they have to go through and they have to say what they have to say. And I guess they think it would be less embarrassing if they just handed me the belt. But no. They've got to ask the whole plane who needs the extender belt. Of course, it's the fat Jewish guy up here. Okay. Now, we found that God does not make too hard terms with those who seek him. We seek God by taking the action of the steps. We seek God by taking the action of the steps. Dr. Bob said, trust God, clean house, help others. Trust God, clean house, help others. That's as simply put as you can get it. To us, the realm of spirit, capitalized, is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. It is open, we believe, to all men. There is nobody going to bar you from this higher power. Nobody is going to stand in the way of this higher power but you. And the only thing that is going to stand in the way of you achieving a relationship with that higher power is you. None of us could keep you from that higher power. None of us want to keep you from that higher power. None of us are benefited by you not having that higher power in your life. There's not one person, whether they are your relative, whether they are your friend, your spouse, your child, whatever it is they are, nobody is benefited by excluding you or trying to exclude you from that higher power. So don't think to yourself, because what do we like to do? What did we say many, many times? We like to blame others. What are the four things all addicts do? We lie. We assign blame. We keep scorn. We fight battles that just don't exist. And in in, in keeping with that, we lie to ourselves, oh, this person over here, if they would only stop picking their nose, oh, if only they would stop walking backwards. Oh, if only they would stop, whatever, then everything would be okay. That's, that's horse hockey. That's horse hockey. Our lives, our spiritual lives are not controllable by the actions of another person like that. We assign blame. If it wasn't, if you didn't do this to me, I wouldn't be in the situation I'm in today. No, that's not true. We can transcend that situation by working the steps. We keep score. You did this to me and I didn't do that to you. And you did this and you did that. And then we fight battles that just don't exist. We're out there with our steed and our lance and our jousting pole. And we're riding around on our steed and we run into a tree and get hurt. And there's no one else on the battlefield. You see this every day. Those damn Democrats those damn Republicans, those damn this and those damn that, and the people that are for this and the people that are for that, if only they would blah, 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 blah. My God, if we would just stop that, look at the peace we could achieve within our soul. Look at the peace we could achieve within our soul. Let's go to the top of page 47. When therefore we speak to you of God, we mean your own conception of God. How many times do we have to be told this before it sinks in? Probably many. But here, once again, we mean your own conception of God. Stop trying to fit into someone else's conception of God. Stop blaming God for the things that human beings do. I take this call 
every week of my life. How can I believe in God when there's racial prejudice, when there was chattel slavery, when there was a Holocaust, when there was this and there was that? And my answer is always the same. I don't believe or not believe in God because of the things men do or don't do. God didn't put a bunch of robots on this earth. God put a bunch of human beings here and they are free to do terrible, horrible, icky, yucky things. And many of them have chosen to do icky, yucky, horrible things. And I don't know about slavery and racial prejudice and the Holocaust because you know what? I mean, I know about them, of course. I didn't mean to say it that way, but I'm not going to die because of it. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to go eat Reese's peanut butter cups because men did terrible things. And I'll be damned from a personal standpoint. I'll be damned if I'm going to eat pizza because of the Holocaust. I am not going to let Hitler kill one more Jew from his grave over the Holocaust. I'm not going to do it. I will not do that. So yes, there are horrible things. We took this country from the Native Americans and slavery was ugly and horrible. And, and oh my God, I can't even imagine the Holocaust and slavery and racial prejudice that, that exists even today. And the prejudice we have against certain people of different ideas or persuasions, it's horrible, it's nightmarish. But me eating doesn't change those things. Me eating doesn't add to the value of the world. Me eating doesn't help the downtrodden. Walk me through how me eating is going to solve that problem. And I will go, instead of going to Peter Jungle, I'll go right to a pizza place, I'll go right to McDonald's and I'll start chowing as soon as this is over. Walk me through how that's going to change it. And I'm open. I'm open to your suggestions, but you're, it's not going to change it. And if I'm sober and I'm abstinent and I'm in recovery, I can conduct myself as a decent human being. And that's about all the control I have. I don't have any more control over that. Me eating solves nothing, helps no one. So don't use that as an excuse. It's a BS excuse. It doesn't help anyone and you know it. Let's go to page 47. This applies too to other spiritual expressions which you find in this book. Do not let any prejudice you may have against spiritual terms deter you from honestly asking yourself what they mean to you. At the start, this was all we needed to commence spiritual growth, to affect our first conscious relation with God as we understood him. This is the work of Jimmy Burwell, the atheist that they couldn't stand. When he got drunk, they were happy. He got sober. They weren't happy. No, they were. But he was a pain in the ass. And he power drove this idea of God as you understand God into our program because he was the resident atheist. Because you see, Bob and Bill didn't meet and AA sprung out of their ear. It didn't happen like that. There were lots of other people that were actually more impactful than Bob. Hank Parkhurst had a lot more to do with the writing of this book than Bob ever did. Jimmy Burwell had a lot to do with the writing of this book because he was a pain in the ass atheist. And he insisted, God, as you understand God, don't shove God down anyone's throat because I'm not having it. And many of them won't either. We owe our lives to people who both died sober and died drunk so that we could have the program that we have today. Remember, these guys were coming out of the Oxford group, very Christian in their indoctrination. 
Jimmy Burwell was a power driver and a stubborn mule. Good friend of Fitz Mayo's. They're buried about 20 feet apart in Owings Mills, Maryland. And he power drove this idea. God as you understand God. Afterward, we found ourselves accepting many things which then seemed entirely out of reach. That was growth. But if we wished to grow, we had to begin somewhere. So we used our own conception, however limited it was. What that means to me is what God is going to be five years from now is very different than what he means to me today. What he means to me today is very different than what he meant to me 20 years ago. God, to me, is not a solid. He's a liquid. What that means is, no, he's not a pint of water up there in the sky. No, I'm not saying that. What I mean by that is how I define him, how I choose to believe in him changes as life grows and goes on. 12 years ago, I was a married man with a wife and a child living in a big house in Scottsdale. Now I'm a divorced man for 12 years. I don't have a big house in Scottsdale. I have a little patio home in Scottsdale. Not much. It's a modest home. Very modest. Very, very modest. Most of you would be unimpressed by it, but it's mine. It's mine. I pay the mortgage and it's mine. I can do with it as I see fit. Live in it, rent it, sell it, whatever, it's mine. I used to make a lot more money than I make now. My industry is in severe decline. It's never coming back. I make about the same now as I used to pay in taxes years ago. I've learned to live on a lot less. I wish I had things in my life that I don't have, and I wish I didn't have things in my life that I have. That's human. But what God is and how God is, where God is, changes. Because as my life changes, my needs change, my ideas change. I'm getting toward the end here. I'm 68 years old. I don't have all that much more time left. Coming to the fourth, I'm not not coming to the, I'm in the fourth quarter. I'm coming to the last go around here. I'm coming to the 17th hole. Every single day when I check those obituaries in the Chicago Tribune, I find more and more people that are my age, younger, some of them I know. Going to my high school reunion. I went to Mather High School in Chicago. I'm going to my high school reunion in October. There were 460 of us, and 47 of us are now dead. We lost another one on Monday of this week. One over 10% of us are gone. Scary. I never thought I'd be among the living. Only God can get me where I am. So you might say, well, what about God and these other people who died? I don't have an explanation for that because being alive means more to me than being alive. Now, what does that mean? Being alive means more than being alive. That's a confusing statement. I am alive in every sense of the word. I can walk and I can swim and I can go places and I can know that I'm okay, that I'm a human being. I'm not some intruder in the world. I'm not some person that's on the outside looking in. I wasn't put here by mistake. I don't have to kill myself. I don't have to wish I was dead. Thousands of people, 6,000 people have listened to the podcasts that I have made in this format over the last several years. 6,000 people have heard those podcasts. I never thought in a million years I would ever leave behind anything worth listening to, looking at, or knowing. I thought the only people that would be affected by my death were the candy manufacturers and the farmers. 
I thought that would be about the extent of the people that I would affect by dying. And maybe some people would say, oh, yes, Harlan Grabowski, I knew him well. Now let's go back and live our lives. And maybe every once in a while they would think about me. But that doesn't matter to me anymore. The only thing that matters to me is I am alive today. And today I am alive and I'm glad to be alive. This world sent me a very, very, very clear signal from the day I was born. You're no damn good because you're fat. You're no damn good because you can't control the amount of candy you eat. Why can't you just have one? Why can't you just eat that? Why can't you just push yourself away from the table? Why can't you just push yourself, um, pull yourself up by the bootstraps? Why can't you just be like the other kids? Why do you have to weigh so much more than the other kids? I don't know. And I don't want to live in your stinking world any more than you want me in your stinking world. Just kill me and get it over with. And I said this to myself. I didn't say it to them. I have a place in the world today, and I can't begin to tell you how much that means to me. And yes, I still get lonely. Oh, you bet I do. Sundays, holidays, the Jewish holidays are coming. The, the holiday holidays are coming. Those are very hard for me. Those are holidays when you're supposed to have a family. You're supposed to have this. You're supposed to have a courier and knives. You know, you're supposed to have that picture. I don't have it. I wish I did. But I'll tell you what I do have. I have God. And I have me. And I have a program. And there is purpose to my life and a rhythm that underlay all. And when I get up in the morning, I don't have to wonder why I got up in the morning. I got up in the morning so I could be of service to God. My real purpose is to be of maximum service to God and the people about me. I am here to do a job. I am here to do God's work. I am here to serve. I don't ever have to wonder what the agenda of the day is. Yeah, Monday through Friday, I try to make a few bucks. That don't make me a bad guy. But I'm here to be of service. And I am going to be of service to the very best of my ability. Let's read the next paragraph and then we'll be done for the day. And this is the guts of step two the guts of step two. We needed to ask ourselves but one short question. Do I now believe, or am I even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? Do I believe, or am I even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? Clancy Immeslin likes to tell a story that he was in Los Angeles many, many years ago. And his sponsor was having trouble with him because he refused to believe in God. And Clancy's sponsor stood before him and said, are you willing to believe that there's a power greater than yourself? And Clancy said, no. And, and then the sponsor said to Clancy, am I doing better than you? And Clancy said, yes. And he said to Clancy, well, welcome. I'm your new higher power. My first higher power was Lake Michigan. I used to travel Lake Shore Drive in Chicago every day. And I'd look out at her and she'd be sitting there resting if it was a west wind or violent if, she, if there was an east wind. She can get violent, particularly November, December, January. She can get very, very violent when that wind turns out of the east Man, oh man, sometimes they have to close down Lakeshore Drive because the water comes right up on the road. But she didn't care about money and she didn't care about girls and she didn't care about whatever. She was just there. Lake Michigan, she was just there. And she was my first higher power. And then it went from there. Do I now believe or am I even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? 
As soon as a man can say he does believe or is willing to believe, we emphatically assure him he is on his way. Because if you believe, now you better start taking some action. It has been repeatedly proven among us that upon this simple cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. Next week, we're going to start at the paragraph that I just read. We're going to do it again next week. Because that is the best starting point right there. And then we're going to talk about Appendix 2. So we've got a lot of ground to cover next week. Bring a friend. But before I turn it back over to Maria or Sue, or I don't think Nancy's even here today, I'm going to just remind you of a few things. First off, the birthday. When registration starts, register for the birthday. If you can't come to the birthday, okay. But if you're just scared to, remember, this is a safe Live to recover. You recover to live. Live your life. Come to the convention. We're going to have a lot of fun. We'll have more fun with you than without you. We want to get to know you. We want to hug you. We want to be 